Welcome back to yet another episode of the Capes and Tights podcast right here on capesandtights.com. And I'm your annoying host, Justin Soderberg. We're welcoming another Justin to the podcast today. Justin Birch, comic book letterer for a wide variety of publishers. But here's a couple of titles that he has published, or sorry, uh, lettered in the past. Breath of Shadows, Sea of Sorrows, Road of Bones, Nightwalkers, Dead Mall, Tales from Nottingham, Over the Ropes, The Flash, Birds of Prey, Shows In, Seance Room, House of Slaughter, Something's Killing the Children, and so much more. Justin is a Ringo Award-nominated letterer who also works for the studio and World Design, same studio as our previous guest a couple of episodes ago, DC Hopkins, so they are friends and acquaintances as well. So check that episode out. But this episode features Justin Birch, comic book letterer extraordinaire. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as capesandtights.com. Also, five stars, rate, review, subscribe, all those things on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But until next time that I, you get to hear me do this whole intro speech again, this is Justin Birch, comic book letter extraordinaire for Capes and Tights Podcast. Enjoy, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I think this might be the first time I've ever had a Justin on the podcast. I'm Justin. You're Justin. This is just Justin going on all in, which is funny because I, when I grew up, I honestly knew like one or two Justins, honestly. And well, so like uh, in knowing people nowadays, the name Justin just makes me weird to me. <laughs> so I, I'm going to guess that you were born in the early to mid 80s. Mid 80s. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, I think there's a lot of Justins from around <laughs> that that time. It is. And um, uh, my middle name is Michael. So it's like that's another one of those names from the <laughs> mid 80s where people were just like, well, we don't want to name our son Michael, but let's throw it in the middle name. It, that will work for you. Because <laughs> I knew like tons of people growing up in my classes and stuff like that who had the middle name Michael. Uh, very original parents of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom's name is middle name is Michelle. So I think that's where it came from. But I was like, that's even more original, mom. Just naming me the male version of Michelle. There you go. No, it, it um, all makes sense now. It's, it's exactly. all making sense. Yeah, we see it. We we figured the world out right here on this podcast, right <laughs> this episode. Uh, but welcome. I uh, hope you're doing well. Hope your day is going well. Uh, where are you located at? What state are you in? So I'm in West Virginia. Okay, but the part of West Virginia that's really close to Pittsburgh. Like I'm okay. only an hour outside of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense with your hat you have going on there. The little Penguins action. Yes, a hockey fan. <laughs> Uh, which is actually owned by our Red Sox team's owners, right? They're the same owners yeah. as the as the Penguins, which is funny because I realized that they only paid like, I say only, wasn't it like $900 million or something like that for the team when they bought the team and they like the Red Sox are worth like $4 billion. And just to see the scale between hockey and baseball <laughs> money they spend <laughs> on teams. But yeah, so the Penguins, little Sidney Crosby action over there. Uh, so you're basically in you're West Virginia, but you're basically in, in, in Pittsburgh, so... Yes. Yeah. Uh, my brother lives in Virginia, so I not, but on okay. the other side. So yeah, but um, we're here to talk comic books. Uh, it was funny actually. Before we get started, started, started. You knew who I recorded with earlier today? Was it uh, DC? <laughs> nope, that was last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Alex and Rich. Oh. You know when um when when I was seeing the promos go up for yeah. like everybody that you had like yeah. lined up I'm like and I was looking at the list I'm like all right yeah I worked on that book with them and yeah. I worked on that book with them and well, yeah, like, yeah I'm friends with him well I got Dead Mall right here we yeah. had we had Adam and, and David on uh, I did a review and I actually talked to um, uh, Mark London from Mad Cave so there's that uh, then Sia Saros is right here which obviously you worked on. <laughs> Cullen Bunn is actually coming up in April. So he's actually, you got Nightwalkers there. So you're just like, all those connections here is great. And I, I guarantee you, in these comic books behind me, there's a bunch more that had your name on it too, <laughs> uh, for sure. There's stacks of comic books on the floor here. But uh, but it was just kind of funny because I was talking to them and I was like, it's, it's funny how I was recording with them this morning. And this their episode comes out on Monday the 27th. This episode comes out March 1st, okay. which is the exact same week. And it's the day that issue two of breath of shadows comes out and i was like it's basically breath of shadows week right there and then i thought to myself why didn't i just tell alex rich to come on this episode we could have just done a huge breath of shadows episode but you know let them have their episode we'll take the lettering glory on this episode 
and, and talk about that. But I just thought it was funny. And it ended up being that like, it's not like we recorded two weeks ago with them and then you're on. It's literally like the same day, a couple hours apart. But <laughs> so let's start off. What's it like working with Alex and Rich? Like, how is it like working on You worked on Sea of Sorrows, mm -hmm. uh, Road of Bones and Breath of Shadows, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, that's. And there's actually some other uh, books and stories that I've worked on with Alex uh, that that Rich didn't write. So okay. I've worked with them a lot. Um, th there's actually a thing that uh, I'm lettering for Rich right now that hasn't been announced, so I don't want to say it yet, but there's another project that we're working on together. Um, what I will say is that the, the first story the three of us did together, Road of Bones, my mindset was just don't screw this up. Um. <laughs> I, it was a lot of imposter syndrome was going on right there during that series for me. Um, and then we moved into Breath of Shadows and I started to get a little comfortable. And I think, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sea of Sorrows and I started mm -hmm. to get a little bit more comfortable. And uh, I think this uh, this series, Breath of Shadows, is the first time that I felt truly comfortable. Like I felt like uh, I'm contributing and not worrying about taking something away. Mm -hmm. it, it, now, it must it, be... If you if you were to uh, if if Rich and Alex were to hear me say that they're they're definitely going to say that I'm crazy and that I didn't do anything like that I I'm you know what I mean mm -hmm. they it's funny because it's one of those you're not gonna even if you did a horrible job it's not like on the previous when I talked to them on the last episode they're gonna shit on you anyway <laughs> like like it's like one of those things like this is our book and we're trying to sell our book so even if we never want to work with Justin again. We're not going to say it was shitty because we want people to buy the book. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny how and they, they had some nice things to say about you for sure and working on it. But it must be nice. You know, I did talk to DC Hopkins too about lettering. So it's nice to have another perspective from another letterer. But it also must be nice that these three books, you like by the third book, you have an idea of how Rich writes and how mm -hmm. Alex draws. And so like there's this like almost by the end you just like i know where the bubbles are going to go because you know kind of like where alex is going to position people and so on and so forth so it must i don't say easy but it must get easier on the third of a mini series with the same people yeah absolutely and the like the boring part that no one wants to talk about is that um because i've have i have that experience of working with them i i know how long it's going to take me to letter this mm -hmm. like an issue like i can i it's the perfect way to budget or sort of plan my day. And that's, that's, and that, that's actually leads into the next question. How does a typical day for you, and are you different than a lot of other letterers? Or you think that letterers in the same, have the same specific way they do their projects and so on? I, I like to think that a lot of us sort of have the same um, foundation or template as to how we approach every single day. Um, it, it, <laughs> I know in my case, I, I try to keep a very loose schedule because uh, anything can happen at any you know given time, like a last minute deadline or a rush job or, or something like that. Um, so I never really try to plan out my schedule like some artists do like months in advance. Mine's really like sort of a week to week. And uh, if you give me a deadline date, I'm going to work within that. But I also uh, will work on whoever is yelling at me the loudest and whatever is on fire. Mm -hmm. And so, like, and then you obviously have. So, how many books are you working on at one time? You think? I uh, I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I don't know. <laughs> it, but it's, it's, it's not like one or two. It's it, it's 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 a number of books at the same time. It's not just like you're doing one or two books at once. Correct. Yeah, it's usually like one one or two books a day. Like okay. I'm not lettering two full books a day, but yeah. I might have. I might letter a book and then have to work on revisions for another one or two books. Your story might be different than any other. Like, how did you become a letterer? How did you become a letterer? Uh, so that's a great question. I, uh, I had like a regular nine to five office job that I just absolutely hated. And that's all it was. It was just a job. I never considered it a career. And so I think I just kept having bad days uh, and I would come home and I, I would just, be like I would come home and I would be happy but then I would go to sleep and I'd wake up in the morning and be miserable because I knew I would have to go back to this job so I sat down with my wife and we were trying to figure out like what I could do what would make me happy mm. and and she just asked she's like what makes you happy and I said comics comics make me happy and I didn't want to open a comic shop because I didn't think that that would make me happy at all uh so uh I looked at 
the comic making process and broke down every single job. And when I got to lettering, that's the one that jumped out at me because my uh, background, my degree is in graphic design. And I, I figured that is the, that's the job that I could do the best and I would actually enjoy doing. Um, so from there, I took the um, comics experience lettering class and I was like a six or seven week class sort of taught me the basics. And then as soon as that class was done, I traveled to every convention within like a three, four or five hour drive of where I live and just was showing off portfolio to everybody in Artist Alley. And and I did that for like the first three years. Every weekend I was at a convention doing that. That's insane. That, that But that's also shows the dedication of what you wanted to do. Like you actually put your mind to what you want it's funny how you say portfolio how did you you know did you find blank pages did you how did you practice lettering though to show them what you were doing uh, so in the class they gave us like a 12 page story okay uh, so 12 pages of art 12 pages of script and they were just like all right letter it and you can use this as a portfolio piece okay and so i was just going around showing everybody those 12 pages at first that, that that's that's perfect because I, I always I've always thought this and I had this conversation with my wife which uh, obviously obviously but she's not into comic books like I am she's a, she loves to read novels she reads like three or four a week honestly uh, and so explaining the different breakdown of the different roles that go into comic books it's not as simple as just one person makes a comic book there's like you know some books could have five six seven people working on it some people mm -hmm. could have two or three uh and and saying a, a lettering position i don't know if a lot of people outside of the comic book industry knows a lot of what the letterer does and how it works and i said to myself it's like if you want to become a writer you you write a story and you pitch it to someone if you want to become an artist and you have that ability you draw and you have a portfolio of that it's like one of those things it's like how would I, as a person, as a, I'm also a graphic designer, just all of a sudden I know I'd be like, well, I'm going to practice lettering because all the comic books I have here, minus uh, Step by Bloody Step, have letters in them. And so like, I can't like go in and like, well, I guess I could download PDFs and and remove the, I, I just, and then I said to myself, it's not as simple as just writing a story or as simple as drawing a picture. You have to have something to go off of unless you want to write a story, draw the pictures and letter the book so it's just kind of a funny thing like you can't just a simple just pick it up one day and be like okay i'm gonna practice lettering today you have to have something to go off of and that's just an interesting aspect of being a letterer i would think yeah and if uh one of the things i did too was i sort of searched around on the internet and there were some forums that people okay. would put up um blank pages and script um so there was that was one way to do it i've seen people take the preview pages that like marvel will send out that doesn't have any dialogue and just write their own dialogue and do it that way as well. Which is interesting because then you end up writing your own dialogue too. So you end up writing <laughs> the story in a sense, you're writing the story, but like it's a backwards way of writing the story versus the seeing the picture, the, the, the illustration on that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's just one of those things I've always thought about like a lettering is a different animal in that sense. It's the same thing I would think of if you're really good at inking. Um, but maybe you don't have the ability to really, I mean, obviously I would think someone who can ink and draw, but if you have a really good job at inking, you have to get those pictures to ink over. So you have to like find those sketches of some sort to ink over and, and do the finalization on it. It's just, a, it's the, it's, it's basically the last thing, right? I mean, I would think that lettering is the last thing in the, in the production line before it goes to print and, and all that stuff. I think lettering and colors are happening okay. simultaneously. Uh, a lot of times it seems like I've lettered on inks while the colors are being completed. Okay. So that makes sense too, because I mean, yours is there's there can be a, because it's not obviously just the speech bubbles. There are other things that go into it as well. But sometimes you can letter a book around the colors. Sometimes your colors in the page don't really have much to do with what you're doing. Correct. Correct. Yes. But I mean, obviously, sometimes it does because if you write vroom on something, then you obviously need to know what yeah. colors to make that. Yeah, it, like that. It, that's why sometimes you see a lot of yellow sound effects, uh, because yellow works best uh, with all colors, a lot of colors. <laughs> so uh you'll notice you it's easier to tell what book a letterer only had the inks on when you see sound effects that are like in the entire book that are just yellow okay excuse me uh it, it, i personally have been drawn to i'm a big marvel fan i've been a marvel fan since i was younger and and i very rarely i'm actually reading full-on reading only my second graphic novel by DC. I actually don't read DC that much. I have to rely on other people's information to get the stuff from that. But I'm reading Son of Krypton right now for a book club I'm in. But 
I gravitate mostly now towards horror comic books, mm -hmm. and I see that your name is on quite a bit of them. Is that something you gravitate towards too as well, or is it just the that I just noticed that because I see a lot of horror comic books? <laughs> it's funny that you ask. I've never really been a big horror fan, uh, but for whatever reason, like it's almost like cast typing, yeah, or being typecast at this yeah. point. Um, yeah, I can't explain it. I that's just that's just how it ends up, I guess. Well, and it's also like a, a lot of these horror comic book creators right now are just good creators, so it's good to be attached to these good comic books as well. Uh, you know, like obviously Colin Bond. First of all, Colin Bond, I don't know how he sleeps. I, I honestly don't <laughs> understand that he's always literally every day I get a new solicitation email saying he has a new book coming out. And I don't understand that. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of funny how I noticed that on the different things. And, and your name is on a bunch of these too. But are you also are you at a studio as well? Are you at Anne World? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with Anne World. And so at Anne World, do you do other books out there that you have actually lettered that say Anne World as a letterer as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And how does that, I asked DC this question, is this just if you've been, if someone has asked you to do a book on your own, it's a Birch uh, a book, if it's, if, if Anne World has gotten it for you, then it's the Anne World book, is that how that works? Yeah, so like, uh, think of it as, uh, how do I, I don't, I would say half of my workload comes from Anne World, so it's just, um, you know, books that uh, Darren Bennett, the the head of Anne World, the owner of Anne World, has uh contracts in place with these publishers to work on certain books and he will he'll you know pass them down to us and then the other half is stuff that i've um sort of gotten through those networking opportunities that i've done at conventions early on or just talking to people so uh a lot of my anworld stuff that i've done it is uh, credited as anworld design and like a lot of my stuff at mad cave is done as myself Okay. And it's just an interesting thing. I've always said that it's like, I, I'd almost like obviously getting more jobs. If you see the name on it and someone likes it, then they might call you, but also it's, it's just as easy to reach out to Anworld and be like, Hey, we need someone to letter a book and then they can help facilitate who gets the letter of that book and so on. And and like DC mentioned on his episode was that a lot of times Anworld, um, what's his name? Who's the owner of Anworld again? I forgot you just said uh, it. Darren Bennett. Darren. Yeah, mm -hmm. he sometimes does like issue one and yes. then passes it off to someone else because that way they can have like style in place and all that stuff. That way they can facilitate the rest of the book uh, according to what da uh, Darren had said in the beginning, right? And that's how it works sometimes. Yeah, so a perfect example of this is Darren started out on uh, Something is Killing the Children. And he, when House of Slaughter came out, I was lettering house of slaughter from issue one okay but the style is the same between the two books so he developed the style in the main title and then i used it in the uh spinoff house of slaughter and then uh starting with i don't even i don't even remember what issue I, i'm just gonna say 29 i think it's okay. 29 uh starting with issue 29 of something is killing the children i've taken over it but that's because i've I know how to use the style that he set in place from way back when. Which, I mean, obviously it doesn't mean that you're just putting things in place. There's still obviously work that goes into it in some design aspect in your sense, but there is a, for those who don't know who's going to listen to this podcast, there is a, uh, like a, a teamwork thing between like James tiny and the fourth. And then, uh, you know, the team over there at something's killing the children and the letter that come together and make everything work. But then from issues one through forever, uh, they need to make it so that each issue looks the same in the sense that you're not going to be thrown off by the lettering in the next issue. <laughs> you're not right. going to be like, oh, that's a completely different thing. Sometimes how you feel before they started doing these whole number one resets where you'd like buy issue 17 of something and then issue 18 of something would be a completely different artist. <laughs> and you'd be like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> we want to make sure that doesn't happen in the comic book industry. So they have this style. And I'm guessing it's some sort of template or so in the program where you can pull over balloons. Is that how that yeah. works? There, it's a, uh, we'll just call it a style guide. Okay. That works. Uh, so yeah. just, yeah. So just, you know, you can, you, you also have access to those previous files. So you can go back and read and see what they've done and sort of study and pick up on it. Do you find that as a designer, does that hinder your creativity in it at all? Knowing that you didn't create it from the beginning, or is that just part of the job? It is, oh, man, so 
I'm, I'm honestly, I'm usually so busy trying to get in as much work as possible that I, I just don't even have time to think about it. I'm yeah. just like, all right, this is up. Let's go. Let's get it done. Let's, let's move on to the next thing. Well, I understand that. And that's sometimes how I feel with, I, you know, my day, day job is uh, designing beer can labels for a brewery. And uh, sometimes there is these ones that you're like, okay, you have a thing, get it done get it printed because the beer is in the tank and we need to make it. And then right. there's other times where I have a lot more time where I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to really work on it and make this one like one of my favorite ones to work on. And so it all depends on scheduling. I can understand that completely uh, when it comes down to the deadlines and getting paid and, and, and meeting, <laughs> meeting deadlines is the big one for me, yes. uh, for everybody, <laughs> for all of us designers out there. Deadlines is a huge thing. Anybody in the industry of creating something like, like from scratch, um, is there a book so far? I mean, you know that 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 you've really been happy to to work on, or one of the most proud uh, books you've worked on. I know you worked on a ton, so it's kind of hard to pick out your. It's like picking your favorite child. Um, but is there something that, like, when you tell someone this is the book I work on, you're really happy about that? Um. So one of the one of the books that I worked on, you know, besides, I I, I could sit here and I could name all of the big stuff yeah. that, that I've worked on, but. The, the one that I'm really super proud of is uh, Pantomime from Mad Cave, um, because the whole story is about uh, a, a bunch of uh, hearing impaired kids and it's a comic book. So they have to, how are they communicating to each other? How do I, how do I convey that? Like, I can't just do a normal like tail to their mouth because they're yes. not speaking. Um, so coming up with that style was, was, uh, it was really kind of it was fun I sort of pinned myself into a box once I came up with it because I had to like uh, fit things in and shape things and make them work but um, that that was future Justin's problem to deal with not <laughs> current Justin's problem oh my god how many times did that happen though like and you create something like when I I've learned over the years we just we just announced that our brewery that we're creating a uh, what's called a hop water so basically it's just seltzer with hops and so it's a non-alcoholic beverage and so on and and when we were creating it one of the owners of the business said can we make the lettering at the bottom of the can bigger and I said well no because there's a another style of this coming out that's a longer word and I'm really anal about the fact that I need it to all look uniform and yeah. the same size text and all this other stuff. And 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 he's like, oh, I understand. So I showed him the other one. I'm mean, like, see how it maxes out the space we have? Oh, okay. So the smaller one. And I said, that's just because I don't want to put myself into a position where I later on have to change something that I, I you know, initially I'd put into the thing. So thinking ahead, sometimes you have to, but you're right. Sometimes it's just like, oh, that's the future Justin's problem. <laughs> Not current. I'll figure that out later. <laughs> Or like I, you try to design things and you're just a designer as big as possible because you don't know how big someone's going to want it or in some sort of vector format so that people aren't going to, like if they want it on the side of a building, you're not like, oh shit, I made this the size of a 11 by 17 poster. We can't go any bigger <laughs> than this. Um, and so that's what happened in the past when I first started working and they'd be like, oh, design this small little postcard. And then three weeks later, like, oh, can you make that the size of a banner? It's like, now I have to redo the whole thing. So I've learned to make things so that you get a future, future Justin makes it a little bit easier on them. But that is an interesting thing to see is, is to put yourself in a position for issue one, not realizing that in issue 10 or five, you might be in, in a box and, and hard to, to figure, figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Especially with the people who, yeah, that's interesting. No tales. Yeah. I have to read that. I haven't read that one yet. I have to get that one. I'll have to figure that out. Where is that? Um, it was, it was it, good. It was a good six issue series. Okay. See, five, six issues. That's where I'm at right now. It's all I want. Five or six issues. I mean, is that good for someone who's a letterer to have that like an end, end point on something? Or is that, would you rather have a book you can work 30 issues on? So um, from a money and security standpoint, like you definitely want those 30, 40, 50 issue runs. I don't, I think the most I've ever done is 24 um, but it, it's, it's nice to sort of reset, you know, after five or six issues, you can just kind of put this one to bed and you're like, all right, if there's a volume two, then that's fine. I know what I'm going to do, but it, but it is nice to have that starting and end point. I can see that too. And it's, it is, it's funny how much, and I hate to say this, but it's funny how much, uh, finances or your well being has something to do with it. It's, it sounds so, um, you know, crash, crash, 
crass, can't say the word crass to think that money has everything to do with it, but we all have to make a living. And so right. like there is a future when you're an independent worker like yourself, where you rely on the next, it's not just, you don't just get a salary. It's not like all of a sudden, no, you're just like, whatever, I'll work, whatever I work. If there is this, I have to wait for the next jobs with a bunch of mini series. You have to line up those mini series, which scheduling takes a problem. It takes an amount of time. That's a big thing. And so, you know, in which you're not getting paid for scheduling things. <laughs> and so I can see that 30 issue thing uh, being more of a something you'd rather do than a mini series, but, but not saying you don't like to do mini series, right? I mean, obviously you'll do any mini series. Any, someone will pay you to letter a book. You'll do it. Yes, exactly. Like <laughs> I, I am, I've said it from day one. I've said that I'm a sellout. I will work, you know, for who, whoever pays me <laughs> <laughs> but like so we've had i mentioned at the beginning we had had adam caesar and david stole on and things like that i gave you credit on that episode too because dead mall to me uh david his it's gonna be his artwork on that book to me it's weird how no one i haven't seen much of what he's done with when you take a footstep and it has that ripple effect of sound on it and I said that that with Adam's writing and then your lettering on a book like that, it, it's a one whole project that just makes me really happy about Dead Mall. How was the experience in working on Dead Mall with those guys? So uh, real quick, I should I, need, I should add this. Uh, David is actually the artist on Pantomime. Okay, so, look at that. So, so there's that. There's the connection again. Um, he, he's actually the one who uh, got me the job at Dark Horse. This... Dead Mall was my first Dark Horse credit. And so I guess when uh, he was uh, drawing it or, or penciling it, I guess they asked him if he knew anyone. And he's like, yeah, I know a guy. You should, you know, talk to him about lettering it. So I'm I'm always going to be grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, just, it's, it's a unique book in a sense that like it has, I don't know, we talked about the, we talked about at, at nauseum almost on the episode about dead malls and malls being extinct. I live in Bangor, Maine uh, in, a, in a space where our mall has like a church in it and like two theater companies. So like, not like walk by things. They're just right. like, there's an empty space that you can rent for free cheap. So I'm going to rent it. Uh, our, our, our local comic-con uh, for three years did the comic convention at the mall each room like each abandoned store basically at the mall front was a like the celebrities were in one the oh, artists wow. were in another and then they had like vendors in the middle uh because it was cheap they were able to get the whole thing for like a third of the cost of the local arena and so yeah. like they did it at a mall and i said why didn't these guys why didn't you guys create dead mall like two years ago because then you guys could have actually like all of you guys could have come up to bangor maine in a convention in a mall <laughs> which would have been like so meta that it would have been perfect for you guys but no um but yeah it's it's a great book and i think it's people should definitely pick it up and again like i said some of the books that i realized over the years that are my favorite are the ones that everything in the book works together mm -hmm. and that's including from the writing to the artwork to the colors to the to the lettering and I, I mentioned to Alex and Rich too. It's like sometimes people forget about the letterers in a sense, not forget about it, but it's not the forefront. Right. And it, 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 I think a bad lettering job can take away, and that doesn't include just bad lettering, but almost too much of your own stamp on it. So that pulls away from the actual book. What's it like to have to have to try to meet that, like without trying to like take away from the book, but adding to it? Oh, man, I'm I'm terrible with this because for the longest time, my sort of thought process was um, like I would always compare myself to uh, in football, like an offensive lineman, whereas you only notice linemen, offensive linemen when something has gone horribly, horribly yeah. wrong. And so over the years, I've had to sort of go from a don't be noticed for the wrong reasons to a it's okay to add stuff mm -hmm. to, to maybe if you think something I've been doing it long enough uh, where I feel like the people I work with trust my opinion and trust my, uh, my judgment. If I, if I add something, they think that that might enhance the story. Okay. So it's it, it over the years I've gone from that. Don't get me noticed to sort of maybe it's okay to, to break out just a little bit. It is fine because I think it's one of those things that sometimes those on the outside who don't know, like I said, I, I it might it was either I forget who it was, 
it was either Adida or Hassan on a podcast I was listening to that had mentioned that's where I really first like started like really paying attention to lettering in a book and them explaining the different situations and, and, and different things that I didn't realize, I think, as a young comic book reader, that like if the word is like I'm trying to think of like a big one just because I had the, the podcast of DC is on his um Noctera run where he did room on the side oh, yeah. of, a, of a truck. Like that's not the yeah. artist doing that. That it's you, or not you, but like DC on that book. Um, that right. like so, some of those like the any basic big words like that. A lot of times is a letterer, and it can be a combination of the two. Sometimes artists will do that or ask to be done. But like to me, I think I just assume that the big lettering that's outside the bubbles were actually done not by the letterer but by the artist, and that's a good thing in a sense that you're making me notice something, but not taking away from something in the same sense. Like that right. room on DC's book makes me go, oh that's beautiful and it's gorgeous in the way it looks, but it's not taking away from the fact that there's a truck behind it was drawn by someone else. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, <laughs> I hope, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope that that broom is not DC's legacy. Like when it's all said and done. Right. But I know that guy has gotten so much work because of that single sound effect. <laughs> 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 it's true. I mean, it's, I mean, if you go to his website though, let's be honest, it's the first thing on his portfolio. So like it, it has to be, I mean, it, it is not even like it was in a nothing book either. I mean, Noctera was an excellent book too. So like, there's that too, but like, yeah, you're right though. It's going to be like, it's going to be, he's going to have to get like tattooed on him. The word broom <laughs> written across something with a track trail track, just because of that one, one page. It's funny how you mentioned that because I'm guarantee you that, yeah, you're right. I'm not the only one that's pointing. <laughs> yeah and, and you know honestly like if i wasn't friends with him i probably i would never say something like that but i know that like he's gonna hear that and like the next time i see him he's he's gonna be like you know way to go a-hole like that was yes. great <laughs> yeah it's the only good thing he's ever done too right i mean that's <laughs> that one sound effect it's the only thing you know um but yeah, so it's it's kind of funny, and I love. Do you are you friends with a bunch of other letterers? Is that is that how that was? There like a group, a community of you letterers that like are, are friends, or are you just acquaintances with people in the comic book industry? Some of them just happen to be letterers. Okay, so if I had to really sit down and think about this, uh, if I'm I'm friends with obviously everybody in Anworld. Yes. Um, I would say outside of Anworld, the there might only be. I'll say outside of Anworld, there's probably only really one other letterer that I uh like uh you know actively talk to, um, you know, hang out on Zoom calls with, uh meet up every like every every Thursday night, there's sort of like a indie comics Zoom hangout. And uh we usually just sort of go in and just I don't know what everybody else does. I just work. I'm just sitting there working the whole time, like, <laughs> and it's just in the background. That's... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, so... like Justin, we've been talking to you for 20 minutes now. Where are you listening? <laughs> it, it it's so much. It's even worse when like it's NHL playoff time because then like you know I'll be working straight ahead. The Zoom will be here, and then like the hockey game's playing on the iPad right here. So I'm either like looking straight ahead or watching the game on my iPad and not paying attention to anything else that's going on. And then factor in that I've got, you know, two kids under four running around upstairs and it, it's amazed. It's, 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 it's amazing that I can actually get any work done uh, at all. Well, I think it's, I think it's the, you know, not generational thing. I think it's somewhat generational thing. And I say, I hate this is my, my nine to five job is like I said, as a, as a creative director for a brewery and I work in an office that this other person in the office manages all the employees in the, in our restaurant. And she's, it's a generational thing about these people who can't have, can't focus on one thing or like they let their job suffer because of other personal things and things like that. And I just felt like ever since I first got a job, it was like the job was number one. And even my family sometimes took a second, second fiddle on that. I mean, obviously nowadays with a wife and a, and a two-year-old and it's not like they take second fiddle, but, but like the idea that I think, generationally a lot of the people who are over the age of maybe 35 um can can multitask and actually get things done like i can easily watch a movie at the same time that i'm writing something or designing something and still get i don't think i could watch a movie that i really needed to pay attention to but like right you could like i said you just mentioned the, the hockey playoffs like you, you can watch them you don't need to watch every single pass of a hockey game but like you can get an idea that if you hear a breakaway then you can stop what you're doing 
watch the game really quickly if they're talking to you on the Zoom and still get work done. I don't know. It, it must be a generational thing. It must be because I don't think younger kids can do it. Yeah. Um, it's Oh, man. So <laughs> this is going to sound really weird, but uh, I'm going to tell the story anyway. So I, I like having the background noise because sitting down here by myself it, it, in silence would just be awful. Yes. What I've really started to like having on is background noise lately is uh youtube videos of people who are doing like garage sales or yard sales or <laughs> flea markets or stuff because like there's some like serious like asmr sounds going on as they're digging through bins of of, of toys or like flipping through a long box of comics i'm like yeah i can just sit here and work to that that's fine yeah I could there's sounds like that that like I've always said that like the clink of a a puck off of a of a goalie net is one of those weird things that's actually if you're the offensive team that's not a good sound to hear most of the time because it usually comes right back out <laughs> you, at you uh, and the other one right. growing up as as someone who would really enjoy skateboarding was the click of a skateboard doing an ollie and uh, yeah, the, the having those stuff in the background, I could I could definitely see a hockey game being good. I can understand them rummaging through things. I could see that being yeah. a, a nice little thing to have in the background. Um, but I seem to watch a ton of movies over the past two years, just again because I have it on in the background. I, I you know I just have it on and and I pay attention. I get what's going on, but I, I save the ones for my wife and I had to watch it. I'm like, okay, I really need to pay attention to that because I'm not going to know what the hell's going on if I don't pay attention to it. But, uh, well, I watched Daytona 500 yesterday and I'm not a huge racing fan, but I was like, oh, I guess it's the, you know, it's the 500. I'll watch it. And Travis Pastrana, I'm an action sports fan since a young kid. He was racing in it and I was working while it was on the background, not realizing it was going to take like four hours to watch the entire <laughs> thing. And it went into like, quote unquote overtime I, I don't i guess I, I didn't know there was an overtime in racing but um i was like I'm finally like i'm still wanting someone to explain nascar overtime to me because i just don't <laughs> i don't get it well it was fun I, I, when they were explaining it on tv i was like okay i understand that they don't want the race to end in a caution because that's kind of boring like it, it, you know it's it's they're just driving around a circle and finally someone wins so they're like two extra laps but if they if they are in first place still, when they go through the first lap, they automatically win. They press a button. If a, it was it got very confusing at the end. And the race ended up being won by a guy in an office somewhere, in a booth somewhere, pressing a button. Whenever he pressed that button is when the race ended. So it was whenever he decided that the crash was happening is when the, like, the crash happened. And then like 30 seconds later, he hit the button. And in that time, the first place and second place person said switched places. And that person ended up winning. But if he had pushed it five seconds earlier, the other person would have won. So that was kind of pissed me off for four hours of watching. <laughs> yeah, there, there are certain things. Like, I'm a huge sports fan. I don't yeah. just like hockey. I like everything. Yeah. But there are certain things that I do not understand in certain sports. I do not understand uh, NBA salary cap or, yeah, no, or the way buying out contracts and then someone signs with someone else. I don't understand that. Uh, I don't understand the luxury tax in baseball. Uh, and now I don't understand overtime in NASCAR. Yes, there you go. See, there's we don't need to know everything, though, right? As long as you can understand <laughs> lettering, that's all you need. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and you don't even know everything in lettering, probably. So you're still learning every day, probably. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, there's definitely things. And I'm a huge, huge NBA fan. And I that that's one thing is the salary cap in the NBA. It's the same thing in the football, though. Like, nothing makes sense in football for salary cap either because there is one, but yet they can finagle something and do something so that it doesn't meet. It's, it's there's like, okay, so all of us have to do is a couple more pieces of paper. You don't make, you don't hit salary cap. It's weird, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Over time and NASCAR, I found out about at, we're watching the event and my wife's like, we're not watching this every weekend. And I'm like, hell no, I can't watch this every weekend. Are you kidding me? I said, big ones. I've looked at the calendar and I was like, Oh, I could watch the, the Bristol. They race on dirt. I was like, I can watch that one. That one looks like fun. My son's a huge cars fan. Like he's mm -hmm. two years old and everything in the world has to do with cars. And so I thought he'd want to watch it. He watched it for like 10 seconds and went and, I don't know, did something out in the corner. So my, uh, my dad really, really loved NASCAR. So like every Sunday growing up in the nineties, it would be on. Okay. But he, he had a rule that was, you only needed to watch the first five minutes and the last five minutes, and he would be asleep for the rest of the time in between. <laughs> well, maybe the the sound, like you mentioned, background sounds, and maybe the sounds of a, a race car driving is just a nice hum 
for you to like fall asleep to. Maybe. Well, when I was in Massachusetts in 2006, 2007, I dated a girl whose friend's dad would we'd go over there on Sundays and they'd watch the race. And he had this room that he'd turn like when they started the engines. The volume was so like loud that the whole place would vibrate and stuff like that. So now I always feel like I have to do that. If we watch a race, I have to be like, my wife's like, turn the volume down. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 the same thing. I could say that about basketball too, though. If I'm a huge basketball fan. And let's be honest, the last 20 minutes of basketball game is all you really need to watch. I, I'll say that. <laughs> Even as a big fan, it's really the most important part of the game, the last 20 minutes of basketball game. Because it really is the last minute of a basketball game, right. 20 minutes in time. But yeah, uh, so... Back to comic books really quickly before we wrap this thing up. I, I was thinking to myself the other day, if I were to work in a comic book industry, like in the actual like drawing or creating comic books, which comic book I would like to work? Is there a comic book that you haven't worked on yet that it would be a dream to work on in the future? Not, you know, saying you're pitching for a job right now, but like, is there a creator or a comic book series, even if it's not around anymore, they say they came back with it, that you would love to letter in the future? Yeah, uh, this is actually a really easy question for me. Uh, uh, I would love to work on an, an X-Men title uh, just because, X. I, I mean, I was born in 1983, so I really start remembering stuff around 1992 when the animated series came mm -hmm. out. Um, I, I love the X-Men. I've actually uh, put together a full Uncanny X-Men run from 1 to 544. So for me, I would love to work on an X title. Which is hard because you that's right. not a very easy thing to do. And I don't know if anybody knows that, but they basically have in-house lettering with VC. Yes. But like, you know, maybe one of these days that thing will change. You don't know. The market, the way that the comic book industry looks right now could be look completely different in five or ten years. So you never know. Maybe that'll be happening. Because that's one thing. I think it was was it DC who was saying that like it's the one one of the one publishers that he hasn't worked on yet. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, like, they have their they have their own in-house uh studio. Yeah. And so um like I'm not saying give me regular work on an X-Men title. I'm just saying like a 10-page story in an annual. That's mm -hmm. you know. Okay, then you could just say that off the bucket you, list. You could yeah, you could see it like you'd be like my brother when he played a concert with a band, he's like the band's playing on three stages that way and says that he played with that band. <laughs> you know, at that point you could just say at least I was able to you know, letter a Wolverine story or some sort right. of X-Men story. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, I'm guessing there are some products that, like you just mentioned, you with Alex uh, uh, that are working on that you can't announce. And I mentioned that to uh, the the two guys this morning, which was if you don't have a project that you can't talk <laughs> about, that means that that's not a good thing because that means that you're not working. So I'm glad you have something you can't talk about <laughs> because that means you're getting paid at some point. So that's a good thing for you. Um, the one thing I asked DC, which I'd love to get your opinion on too, is that if you could go back in time and take over for someone, the X-Men can't be the, the answer. <laughs> he had mentioned, is it nothing wrong with the way that someone else letters a book? But he had mentioned he'd love to go back and do like early Spawn mm -hmm. and, and and do that just because of he like he's a big Spawn fan or whatever. He's now doing stuff for Spawn. Uh, as well but like is there a title that you could go back you mentioned you can mention x-men but is there an x-men series like one through 50, 554 would you like to go back and letter that or is there something else that you would love to be able to go back in time and letter that book um <laughs> and again this is so, not so, saying i want to so, preface that again this is nothing against the way someone else letters a book this is the opportunity that if you got a chance any artist out there or creator of some sort had the ability to go write for a story that is no longer being done anymore this is a hypothetical thing. This is not a real thing, obviously, people. <laughs> I so, wanted to so preface that. Obviously, I can't pick the easy thing and say, oh, yeah, all the stuff that I did when I first yeah. started because yeah. it's absolute trash, right? <laughs> I'm not allowed to pick that, right? No, no. Okay, okay. So that's how I've you actually, learn. <laughs> I've got to actually think and pick uh, something. Um, ooh, what would I, if I could go back in history and letter anything that's been done? I mean, it can go back, I guess you can go back three years. You can go back 15 years. You can go back and letter Action Comics number one. Like, there's just something that, <laughs> and again, this is nothing, like, I wanted to say to someone, like, this is not because it's done bad and you want to do a better job at it. It's just having the ability and the chance and the opportunity to letter something that's either historical or means something to you would be kind of cool. 
Okay, so uh, I've, I've got two answers for this. The first one, uh, this is a joke answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I would love to have gone back in time to letter the uh, G.I. Joe silent issue. So that you could actually... <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, the the real answer, uh, I think it would have. I would have loved to have lettered the first comic that I ever remember buying. I think that would be cool to do uh the first comic i ever bought was x-men adventures number one which was just the comic adaptation of the episode so yeah which is excellent and that comic book actually i think it started to go up in value a little bit too when they announced the the x-men 97 uh reboot but the animated series coming back i think that was the one that ended up going up in value a little bit because of that i'm not if i'm not mistaken but uh i can see that that's cool that what they announced it and then like 30 minutes later, I was on eBay looking for a 9-8 copy. <laughs> but it's funny how you say that, too, because this would be a really bad movie for someone to create and watch. But, like, so you're going to go back in time. And the only thing you can do is erase the letters from a book, and you have to re-letter it. <laughs> There'd be, like, three people in the world that'd be like, hell yeah, I got to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's this funny, like, time travel uh movie i'm going to start making or tv show i'm going to start making where people have to go back in time and letter letter a book that that, that was not, was not them lettering in the first place no um so that's awesome i i don't have anything else to talk about it's just letters fascinate me and that's part of my thing and i think it's a, forever it's always going to be that way it's like a, a job that i didn't know existed until about five or six years ago and it was just awesome and, and i'm glad that there are people like yourself doing it and doing it talentedly um did the design team at dark horse come up with this le- logo or is that something you worked on too that that was not me that was okay. that was all uh production at dark horse okay i'm assuming and, i'm assuming it was them and not yeah, david yeah, himself right or now. something but did you do you work on like actually that's a good question do you work on a like logos and things like that and trade dress as well or is just lettering just lettering I, anytime yeah. i get an email with someone wanting to know if i can do a logo i always politely decline <laughs> uh it's, it looks like it says always. designer is christopher mccray just so we can clear that up digital art technician wow there's a lot of people listed in this book um but yeah so that i, I just have a thing as a designer as well i like to call out when i like a, a nice logo on something but yeah I, I there's a lot of people who reach out to me too and say can you do it and i've said yes too many times and failed to meet deadlines because of all the other shit that i've got going on right. and things that i've been like all set thank you uh but this person and this person might be able to help you go see them they have more time on the hands or or more ambition to get this thing done for you so <laughs> i'd rather just do what i'm doing now with my plates already spinning all over the place so uh but yeah anything else you'd like to chat about before we uh Say goodbye here. No. Uh, I, can I just plug some stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. So, uh, real quick, uh, the letter. I, I would feel bad if I didn't mention the letterer friend that I said that I talked to at least once a week. Okay. Uh, is is my mic not good? My You're good. Okay. okay. So, uh, a shout out to Michael Myers, who is uh, another uh, fantastic indie letterer. Um, the stuff that I want to plug is, uh, feel free to give me a follow on Twitter at Justin Birch on Instagram. I'm Justin underscore, I'm sorry, Justin underscore Birch underscore letters. And I just recently started a YouTube channel where I hope to do live lettering sessions. Uh, there's one up there now, so you can see me lettering on a page or two there. And it's also where, um, I plan on showing off, uh, comics that I get in the mail because I buy and collect a lot of comics i, I i've noticed that on your instagram is that there's a couple of them there that i'm like oh nice nice little grab there i i was waiting for a fedex delivery i got some cbcs um verified signatures from mm-hmm. them like i had a george perez where i was like oh i really gotta do this ver- verify and then i had a todd mcfarlane some big todd mcfarlane art fan uh so i'll leave it um and i had uh i'm a big walking dead fan and he did a very variant for walking dead 100 Mm-hmm. and then I had him sign, and then I was like, oh, crap, now he's just sitting there. So I got – those are supposed to come back today, and I got another package from FedEx, but not that package. So I'm really kind of stressing out about where the heck that is because that George Perez one is not replaceable in a right. sense. I had him – it's hard to see. I don't know if you can see back here in the background. That's him drawing a picture for me at a festival, uh, a Comic-Con in New Massachusetts where he nice. signed this book, and it's like 
yes, could I go online and buy a George Perez book on eBay signed, C- uh, CGC signed? Yes, I probably could do that. But he signed it for me in person, and that's irreplaceable in my right. opinion. It's a, it's an experience that I can't get back. Micah Myers is on my next wish list, so we'll have to be in touch to see if we can put <laughs> us in contact because I love a lot of the stuff that's been put out by that person for sure. So I would love to chat at some point. I think three letterers within the span of like six episodes is probably not the best thing because people are going to be like, okay, enough of the lettering. But sometime in the future, Michael would be an amazing guest on the podcast for sure. But yes, give you a follow. I'll give you a shout out on our page when we post this, all your all your links. I'll link the YouTube channel on there as well. Uh, excited to see some of those live lettering things because I'm, I'm a big fan and, and looking forward to that. I will list at the very beginning of this episode all the different titles that I can get out of my mouth <laughs> that you've been working on and, and give you a shout out of that. But specifically, this episode drops on the day that issue two of Breath of Shadow comes excuse me, comes out. And so grab issue one and two of Breath of Shadows too, because it's a great story um, from you and Rich and Alex and, and, and the people at IDW. IDW has been putting out some great IDW originals. And this is just part of that that thing. Uh, but also pick up <laughs> Dead Mall and... <laughs> Tales from Nottingham and so, so many more out there as well. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on. Uh, I will say uh, that the Bruins are better than the Pittsburgh Penguins. I just want to say that now at the end of this episode. Uh, you know, statistically, <laughs> according to the records and the standings right now, that is factually true. <laughs> I I literally look at the standings sometimes and I'm just like pinching myself. I'm like, I'm, I love being a Bruins fan, but this is for so much of the season, it was just like, oh my God, I can't believe how good they are on paper. And Jeremy Swayman is from a product of UMaine, which okay. is literally in the same town my brewery is in. And so I always have to be a fan of a player going from UMaine to the brewery. Right. But I'm not a UMaine <laughs> hockey fan. I'm actually a UMass Lowell hockey fan. But that's a longer story for another day. Maybe there'll be a hockey episode. You know, we we totally could do a uh, hockey episode just because uh, I, I don't know if you knew this, but where I live, there's a minor league hockey team here. So I get a lot of those college players. Yes. And so we we uh, talked about, I had uh, Trace Dean on who wrote uh, We Ride Titans. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, obviously David uh, Harper who runs off panel, but also sketch.com. And um, I'm ha- episode 100 is with Kyle Starks is going to be on and, and those people are huge basketball fans. So I thought, let's just, uh, you know, piss off all of our followers that are comic book <laughs> fans that hate sports and just do an entire episode about basketball. And so I think we're going to try to do that sometimes towards the NBA finals to do that. Cause I'm just like, because David gets shit on all the time whenever he has someone on and they talk about basketball, people like message him and be like, I thought this was a comic book podcast. And then <laughs> I'm like, okay, people, you can turn off the end of one episode. Like it's okay. <laughs> We have other passions other than just comic books, people. It's a bigger, wide world out there. But uh, I'm glad to be another sports fan who's also a comic book fan who works in the comic book industry. And I really appreciate with the name Justin. Like, that's just like, so I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Be sure everybody to follow them. Uh, follow Justin on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, all those things, and YouTube channel nowadays. And again, links will be in our on our website, capesandtice.com. But until next time. I really appreciate it. You got you're missing some space there. You need to add some more stuff into the behind you. Oh, I'm I'm actually trying to sell everything so I can buy an Amazing Spider-Man number one. Oh, okay, well that 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 makes sense then. You, so you sold some things, and that's why there's missing spaces. Yes. Oh, you're in you're in the right direction there. Yes, okay. I'm I'm going the right way. Yes, you are. <laughs> I really appreciate it, Justin. Thank you so much. Absolutely.